as Adolf Hitler rose to power in the late 1920s and 1930s, they had an interesting plan to impact the nation. What they did was they had Nazi sympathizers infiltrate the Protestant, the German Protestant church, which was the largest and most significant denomination in the country at the time. These Nazi sympathizers infiltrated, infiltrated the church and began to impact and change the nature of the teaching so that it was consistent with the philosophies of Adolf Hitler. And here's what's frightening. Nobody or hardly anybody said anything about it. Imagine coming to church and you see the Bible and Mein Kampf next to each other as equal. Frightening, isn't it? Shocking. Shocking. And yet the German Christians saw no problem with that. They saw no contradiction in that. When Hitler rose to power, the denomination was enveloped into a new a new creation, which was the German Christian Church. And they so impacted the perspective of the people, many who had grown up in Christian homes. They impacted them so much that these same people turned a blind eye when their Jewish neighbors were being arrested and taken somewhere. They turned a blind eye when the people who were struggling with disabilities in Germany were exterminated. They turned a blind eye as the nation revved up its war power and began to conquer and destroy the nations around them. The church turned a blind eye. Friends, I think that is frightening. I think that is is something that we should pay attention to. Because these German Christians, they were people like you and me. But they had lost their way. They had lost an understanding of biblical truth. And they had been swallowed up in this, in this nationalistic movement of the Nazi party. In 1933, in the German city of Barmen, a group of Christians gathered. There were German Christian intellectuals who were teaching in the seminaries. There were Christian pastors like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There were committed lay people. And in this gathering, they wrote a response to Adolf Hitler and the Nazi propaganda. Now, why did they do that? Why was that so important? Because the church had lost its way. They sought to reclaim the purity of the church. And they wrote what is now known as the Barman Declaration of Faith. I want you to hear the four primary perspectives based on Scripture that they wrote about in the Barman Confession of Faith. Here's the first one. <clears throat> to call the church to reject the premises, the foundation of Nazi teachings. Second, they called on the church to reject nationalism. The church is for the world, 
not for any given people, not for any given race, not for any given nation. The third thing they did was to call the church to stand against any form of racism, as we saw that was destroying in Germany and in Poland and the neighboring nations, the Jewish population, and fourth, and this is significant, it called the church to reject Adolf Hitler as an idol. They identified Adolf Hitler and his teaching as a form of idolatry, which is accurate in terms of, how, of what the Bible teaches. So they came up with this statement to make an impact on the German church to call the church back to God because they've been swept up in this movement. Friends, what we see here is an example of the importance of confessions, of creeds, of catechisms. They are used, they are used to correct the church. They are often written out of a particular context, as you'll see this morning, where God's truth, his word, is, is being distorted. And there needs to be a movement to help people to see what is real, what is genuine, what is true. And so these confessions often come out of a particular context, as we'll see this morning, to bring the church back to its moorings, to help the church understand biblical teaching, to purify the Christian church. This morning we're beginning a new series called I Believe. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking over the next number of weeks at the Apostles' Creed. But we're not going to be looking at the creed for the sake of the creed. We are going to be understanding its biblical moorings. We are going to be understanding the biblical teachings of the creed and how it impacts or should impact our lives today. The purpose is to understand the relevance of this creed that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The oldest of the creeds that we have today. But we want to understand it in light of our life here in the greater Chino area in the year 2022. What does it say to our church? What does it say to the church in America and the church in the world today? How should we embrace this? And we'll understand that a little better, hopefully, by the end of the morning. Here's what I want you to see this morning. John Calvin, and you'll see this on, there we go. John Calvin said, and John Calvin, if you're not familiar with him, he is uh, one of the fathers of Reformed belief, Reformed theology. He said this, the Apostles' Creed furnishes us with a full and every way complete summary of faith containing nothing but what has been derived from the infallible word of God. So what he's basically saying is that this creed is based on the teachings of the word of God. And so what we want to do is, in this series, we want to connect the teaching of the creed with the Bible. We want you to see what the Bible teaches about the points that are made in the Apostles' Creed. Every line begins with these words, I believe, I believe. And when we say these words together, we are affirming what the the church has believed for 2,000 years, and we are affirming what 
we have what we believe as Christians with Christians throughout the world. Here's a, the next thing I want you to see, and that is the difference between a creed, a confession, and a catechism. A creed is a short or basic statement of the essential beliefs of the Christian church. I'm going to show you this morning that there are creeds written into the Bible. There are creeds that were common sayings of the day, particularly the Apostle Paul repeats in his letters. And we will see a couple of those this morning. But it's a brief summary of what we believe. Again, written out of a particular context, typically because there was some error of teaching. There was some aspect of biblical truth that was being challenged in the day. And truth matters, as we'll see this morning. A confession tends to be, uh, like the Barman Confession, tends to be an elaborate statement of what we believe as a particular denomination. Let me give you some examples of these. What we have in the, um, in the we have the Apostles' Creed, we have the Nicene Creed, we have the Athanasian Creed. We also have, in confessions in our Reformed tradition, we have the Belgic Confession of Faith, we have what's called the Canons of Dort, and some of you are like, I have never heard of any of these. They are teachings to help us to understand what the Bible teaches. Often they're in question and answer format, particularly as catechism. The Westminster Confession of Faith. And third, there are catechisms. Catechisms, like the Heidelberg Catechism, they were used in a question and answer format to teach people who were new to the Christian faith. What do we believe? This is what we believe. And these documents are historical. So it's not something that we just suddenly come up with. It's something that Christians have affirmed and have taught generation after generation. But as I'll teach you this morning, we do not put creeds, confessions, and catechisms at the same level of Scripture. The Bible stands in authority over them. I want to be very clear about that. They help us to understand. They help us to see. But they do not stand over the word of God. God informs the creeds, confessions, and catechisms, not the other way around. And so here's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to understand these points this morning. Number one, these statements present biblical truth. Biblical truth a summary of what it is that we believe as Christians. This is what we believe. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, 31. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, to those who had put their faith and their confidence and their trust in him, he said, if you abide in my word, and then you are truly my disciples. If you live in my word, if you live out my word, if you obey me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? What does it say there? Set you free. How does truth set me free? When I believe what is right, I will live according to what I believe. If I am believing eternal truth, I will live out eternal truth. I will become what God intended me to be. I am at most peace at my greatest sense of contentment, 
when I am living as I was created to live, when I am believing what is ultimately true. It's believing lies that get us in trouble. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve believed that God wasn't enough. And so believing that God isn't enough, they acted upon that belief and they disobeyed by eating the forbidden fruit. I want you to hear this. We were just looking last week at the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, some of the final words of the book of Revelation. Not the very last words, but almost the very last words. Listen to what the Lord said. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, okay, God's word, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. This book does not stand below these confessions, the Apostles' Creed. This, this book does not stand below them. This book stands above them. And if there is ever any disagreement, it's the Bible that is correct. It's the Bible that we follow. It's the Bible that we believe. Is everybody clear on this? They are not at the same level. One of the, one of the seven, if you're familiar with our church, if you're not familiar with our church, we have seven value statements. One of our, our very first value is this, rooted in Scripture. Rooted in Scripture. It's our desire as a church that everything that we teach, everything that we do in terms of programs, in terms of our vision, our mission, everything, be rooted in the truth of God's Word. Not rooted in a creed, not rooted in a confession, not rooted in a catechism, although you'll see this morning they have great value. I want to be very clear that our goal as a church is to be rooted in the Word of God. That is God's Word. And that is how we are to design our lives and the life of our church. Now, here's a second thing, though, I want you to see as we look at the value of these confessions. The purpose is to correct error in the church. Often, now, the Apostles' Creed's a little bit different. The Apostles' Creed, we're really not sure. It was written over probably about 100 years. It wasn't written by the Apostles, but it was written over a period of about 100 years. And it was a summary of what we believe, what is core to what we believe as Christians. But most of the creeds and the confessions came out of the context of real serious issues that the church faced. For example, the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed, and some of you have heard of that. In fact, in the West, we think the Apostles' Creed is the most popular creed in the world. It's not. It's the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is, is, um, is repeated by Christians more often than the Apostles' Creed. But it was, it was written at a time when the divinity of Jesus was being challenged. Now, this is a core issue, isn't it? Who is Jesus? This is a core issue. Is he fully God? This is a core issue of the church. And so a group of people gathered together and they studied this very issue biblically. 
there was, a, there was a, a popular belief at the time called Arianism. Arianism was a belief, a, a, a false belief, but not true, that Jesus was created by the Father. He wasn't. Jesus is fully God. And as we'll see next week. And so what we have here is we have this false teaching that is coming into the church that people are believing and the church gathered and they made a, a, a very firm and clear declaration. Jesus was fully man and fully God. We don't diminish the truth of the divinity of Christ. How did we come to that? Well, we came to it from the word of God. By looking at the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to teach and this definitive statement called the Nicene Creed came out of that. So that when we face these kinds of issues today, we've already determined what is true based upon what the scriptures teach. Now, there's nothing new in the world. If you study early church history and where many of these creeds and confessions come from, what you'll see that many of the things that are not Christian today have already been spoken about years ago. Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, Unitarianism, for example, are two churches today that deny the divinity of Jesus that are basically affirming Arianism. And the church spoke to this almost 2,000 years ago. This is the value, this is the value of creeds and confessions. They correct us as a church so that we don't end up going in the wrong direction. They help us to understand what the church really stands for, what the Bible really says about God and about us and about the world and helps us to continue to live in God's truth. That's the value of them. And that's why they're significant, that's why they're important. And that's why as Christians we should understand these. Here's the next thing that I want you to see, the third statement. And that is that these, these statements are a summary of our faith. They're a summary of the core beliefs that we hold as Christians. They summarize what it is that we believe as Christians. So that we know who God is. We know what the Son's death means for us. They answer those questions for us based on what the Scriptures teach. I want you to hear that this is nothing new. You'll see this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and following. This was probably part of a creed in the early church. Part of a common teaching that was repeated place after place after place. Remember that they didn't have the New Testament like we have it today. And so what would happen is truth about who God is would be taught, would be memorized, and they would become creeds that would remind each other what is true and would keep the church pure. Listen to one example. This is, this is part of a creed, but Paul is writing some of his own thoughts in it. Listen to this. For what I received, Paul said, I passed on to you as of first importance, priority. Pay attention to this. This matters. Okay, he's going to repeat now part of a creed. Listen to what he says. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then this is probably where he takes off on his own. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. In other words, I was not one of the original disciples, but I was born again. God grafted me into the family of God when I was, when I was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. This is part of a creed. It's reminding us what it is that is core to what we believe. What it is that makes us Christian. Friends, here's the reality. You have lots of denominations in America and around the world. Christian denominations all agree with this. We all affirm this to be true. Where we divide as denominations are over things typically that are not of core value. That are not that significant. We can, whether we believe in infant baptism or believer baptism, um, those are things that really are not core to what we believe as Christians. What we believe is what we read here. We read also another example of a creed that was, this was, these were passed on orally. They were communicated orally in the church because they didn't have them written down. So people would memorize these. To be reminded of what we believe as Christians. This is a passage, if you've been in the church, grown up in the church, you've been in church for a long time, you probably will recognize. Listen to this. We have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. See, being in very nature God. <clears throat> that is directly opposes the position of Arianism. Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by be becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Friends, this was probably a creed in the first century. So that we used this, this was used to teach people what is true. To teach people what it is that we believe. This is the value of creeds. Now, this is scripture. The Apostles' Creed is not. But it's a summary of what it is that is core to what we believe. When I was, um, this, when I was in seminary, and I know some of you have gone to seminary, and we took classes. I had three classes called Systematic Theology. Don't let me lose you. It's not complicated. Systematic theology is just exactly what it, how it's described. They systematically, they take the Bible, they systematically pull from it what is true about God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the church. What does the death of Jesus mean? 
And it teaches by using all different scriptures in the Bible, it sorts them out in a very systematic way so that we understand what, is, what the Bible teaches about these incredibly important issues. You with me? So my children, my children, when they each graduated from high school, they got a wonderful gift from dad. Come on, kids, you're just saying, come on, mom and dad, you looking at that? This is a, a, one of the best books that I've come across on systematic theology. It's by a man named Wayne Grudem. Now, I agree with about 95% of what he's written in here. The other 5% is, who knows, right? It doesn't really matter. But what is core? And it's written for people like you and me. It's not written for academics. It's written for people like you and me. It's very understandable. I've taken many groups over the years, men's groups, through this in small group, where we've gone chapter by chapter by chapter, and there aren't a lot of pictures, and going chapter by chapter by chapter to understand, like, here's a chapter, what does it mean to be united with Christ? Not a great question. What does, that, what does that mean? That I'm united with Christ. Just randomly. Election. What is divine election? What is the atonement? These are big words. What is sin? These are big words, but they're easy to understand the way he lays it out. I have three copies of this in my office because I use it so often. And I read it devotionally. Because it reminds me of what I believe, what makes me, what connects me with Christians throughout history, and what connects me with the Word of God. Friends, this has value, and this is exactly what the creeds, the confessions, and the catechisms do. They systematically help us to understand what the Bible teaches as core to our faith. Does that make sense? That's the value of it. That's the value of it. This is, this is such, my kids appreciated this so much that when they moved out, they all left it at my house. <laughs> and I remember my son, who was at Biola University, he said, Dad, I should have brought that book because it's like the primary reading for my theology class. And I said, well, I'm not paying for that. I already bought you one. The final thing I want you to see on the value of these confessions, creeds, and catechisms is this. They unite us. They unite us together. Past and present. Here in Chino and in Shanghai, China. As our brothers and sisters throughout the world worship the same God that we worship, they are proclaiming these very same creeds that we proclaim. Here we are speak a different language, but we believe what we believe is core to the Bible. We share that together. I love this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Such an incredible passage. We read here... Um, Chapter 11 talks about the faith of those who have gone before us. And then it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses. Great cloud of witnesses. Let us us, also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is he saying there? He's saying that those who have loved God and who have sacrificed, some who wrote the Barman Confession of Faith did not live to see the end of the war because they took a biblical stand and they sought to draw the church away from a dictator. Friends, in this Memorial Day weekend, we honor, rightly so, the men and the women who paid the ultimate price for our nation and for our freedom. But I also remember that there are men and women throughout the world who have gone before me, have gone before you, and have paid the ultimate price for the purity of the church. I also remember and honored them. They have given up their lives. They have given up their lives to correct the church, to encourage the church, to give, to give and, and help with the endurance of the church that the truth of God's word would continue to, from generation to generation. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses. Some who were part of the writing of the Apostles' Creed. Some who were part of the writing of the eternal word of God. Some who were part of the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism and the Athanasian Creed. Some who were part of the Canons of Dort writing that. The Belgic Confession of Faith. These are standards of our church, of our denomination, that are guardrails to keep us on the right road to keep us on the right path. They are not scripture, but they serve to help us to understand what the word of God teaches. They matter, friends. They matter. I want you to hear again what Jesus said. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does this mean for us? Well, this summer, we're going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed. And it's a creed for all generations because it summarizes what we believe on very core issues. Each week, we're going to take just a line of the creed and we're going to spend time understanding biblically what these words mean and why we recite them, why we say them, and why it matters. I think it matters so much that almost every, almost every graveside service that I do, and graveside is where I gather with the family with the casket and they lower the casket. Almost everyone, I invite people to recite the creed, the Apostles' Creed with me. 
because it's such a great reminder in that moment of the promises of God. It's such a great reminder in that moment what God has done for us. It's such a great reminder in that moment of what we believe. And it chases away the fear. And it helps us in the midst of our grief. As we look at the Apostles' Creed, we're actually going to spend a few weeks in this series. We're going to spend a few weeks lingering on, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. As our denomination, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. Talk a little bit about the Father. We talk a lot about the Son. Not a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to linger there. Because we want to see biblically what that means when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What has he done? What is he doing? And how can we join with him in his work? So here are the questions I want you to think about this morning. First of all, what do you really believe? What do you really believe? What is it that is core to you? Some of us, if we are honest, what we really believe is that my life is the most important thing in this world. My comfort, my happiness is most important in this world. What do you truly believe? When I was going through the process of ordination, I had to write my own statement of faith, and then I had to defend it in front of about 400 pastors and committed lay people, elders. And and it was a great it was a great thing for me to have to do because it's a great discipline. You may want to write your own. This I believe. Second thing I want you to uh, challenge you in is are you open? Are you open to being challenged in what you believe where it's inconsistent with what we see in the Bible? Not in the creed, but what we see in the Bible. Are you willing, are you willing to change what you believe based upon what the scriptures teach. And then third, I want to challenge you this week to read the Apostles' Creed and get it online. It's very easy to find. The Apostles' Creed every day. Just read it through. Just read it through. Some of you may want to memorize it, but just read it through and remind yourself of what the church has proclaimed in terms of what is core to our faith for almost 2,000 years. It matters. I want to close with this. I want to close with this. What we believe matters. There's a man named Greg Steer. This comes from Christianity Today from a, a few years ago. He's the founder of Dare to Share Ministries. He grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional family. Next week, I'm going to talk about what the Trinity is. It's something that is core to what we believe. The Trinity often separates us as Christians from those, those religious movements that are not Christian. So what is the Trinity? We're going to talk about that next week. It's important. Every Christian needs to know this. And so we're going to talk about that next week. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in God the Father Almighty. So what? What does that mean? What does it matter? What does it matter? 
I want you to hear Greg's story. Greg grew up in a home that was incredibly dysfunctional. And I want to just read his story. I want you to see the God that we're looking at this summer. We're going to be looking at statements that we believe and we, we embrace as Christians. But what we want to do is we want to know this God. It's not, a ju- it's not just about knowing about him. We want to know this God. We want to encounter this God for ourselves. So hear this. To my five-year-old self, it was a perfect afternoon. No gunshots, no gang-filled cars creeping by looking for trouble as they so often did in my neighborhood. Everything was good that day, at least until a shiny new car pulled up. It was Paul, one of the men my ma had married. He had up and left us without warning, and we hadn't heard from him in months. Ma caught sight of him out of the kitchen window, cursing like a sailor. She hunted down our baseball bat. Charging out of the house, she started swinging at the headlights in the windshield. When he peeled off, I knew we would never see him again. Instantly, I realized two things. One, I would never disobey Ma again. And two, something had ignited a rage in her that consistently led to incidents just like this one. Years later, my grandma told me what that something was. Ma was a partier, and I was a result of one of the parties. She got pregnant. Instead of facing her conservative Baptist parents, Ma drove from Denver to Boston under the pretense of visiting my Uncle Tommy and Aunt Carol. But she was really there to get an abortion. Tommy and Carol talked her out of it. Until my grandma told me I was almost aborted, I had wondered why Ma would often cry when she looked at me while reproaching herself. I'm a bum. I'm nothing but a no-good bum. But after I learned her secret, I understood not only her tears, but her rage toward men. It was a shame-fueled rage. My entire family was filled with rage. Ma had five bodybuilding, street-fighting brothers whom the North Denver Mafia nicknamed the Crazy Brothers. You know it's bad when even the Mafia thinks your family is dysfunctional. My Baptist grandparents took me to church, and one day in big church, everything suddenly made sense. The preacher shared how Jesus died for my sins and rose again. He said if we put our faith in him, we would be saved. At the age of eight, I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Miraculously enough, at about the same time, God was working renewal in my family as well. A hillbilly, church-planting preacher nicknamed Yankee reached out to Uncle Jack, the toughest of the crazy brothers, and he did it on a dare. When Yankee knocked on the door, Jack had a beer can in each hand, but surprisingly, he listened to Yankee's gospel presentation. At the end, Yankee looked at him, and he said, does this make sense? And he said, yeah, it does. In just one month, Jack Jack brought 250 people to church, wanting them to hear the same good news that had given him hope. One by one, all my uncles came to Christ, but the person most in my heart was Ma. When I tried telling her about Jesus, she would shut me down. She'd say, God can't forgive me. You know, you don't know the things that I've done. Finally, at the age of 15, I marched into the kitchen and, and I made Ma sit down and listen to the gospel. At the end, she said, you mean to tell me that if I trust in Jesus, he forgives me all my sins? Even the really bad ones? Yeah, Ma. That's why he died on the cross, I explained. She took a drag of her cigarette, stared off into space for a moment, and said, I'm in. And when my my ma said she was in, 
she was in. At age eight, I met the father I'd never known, the father who would never leave me nor forsake me, the father who changed the trajectory of my life and the lives of my whole family. Friends, as we look at the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father. I believe. The God that we're proclaiming and we're talking about, he's the God who wants to transform your life. He's the God who wants to turn everything upside down. He wants, he's the God who wants to make you all that he created you to be. But we believe. We believe. And so this summer, it's not just about what we think. It's also meeting the God behind that truth. I want to invite you, if you're able to stand, to stand where you are. And we're going to proclaim together what we believe in the Apostles' Creed. And here's something that I know. Some of us have memorized it differently. That's okay. That's okay. I memorized it differently than um, the one we use, so I have to use a cheat sheet. That's okay. But I want you, as you read these words, and maybe you've said them since you were a little person, or maybe, maybe this is new for you. Either way, pay attention to what you're saying. Let these words bring nourishment to your spirit. Let these words nourish your soul. Would you join me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. He rode day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, what we just proclaimed, Christians have been proclaiming for 200 years, I mean, for almost 2,000 years. What we just proclaimed, Christians today all over the world are proclaiming in their gatherings as well. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are blessed and honored by you. God, we thank you and pray that in this journey that we take together, Lord, that we would not only better understand the core tenets of our faith, that which is not negotiable. But Lord, may we also meet the God for whom this, this creed was written. Lord, we're not interested in this just being an academic exercise. We want it to transform who we are. And so as we look at Scripture together, in the weeks ahead, would you transform us? Would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you open our minds? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.